Well, there was no game, so there's not going to be any pithy intro today, but we will head to the lab to look at the National League West, and we'll preview the weekend series against the Royals, and I'll answer a couple questions about defense in the future on today's Locked on Tigers podcast. It is Friday, May 3rd, 2019, and I'm your host, Chris Brown, and as always, I ask you to please download, rate, and review the show on all the various podcast platforms like Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Himalaya. And if you have a smart device, go ahead and tell it to play podcast Locked on Tigers and listen to the show. So, just a couple quick news and notes. Josh Harrison's MRI didn't show any structural damage on his shoulder, so he should be back within the next week or so. Blaine Hardy is going to start throwing again after sitting out a few weeks with a strained forearm. And Victor Reyes, we hardly knew ye, already back down to Toledo after one plate appearance against the Phillies. They haven't announced a corresponding move yet, but... It could just be Tyson Ross rejoining the team. And then finally, there was kind of a strange and disturbing story out of West Michigan from Pete Walner about a number of Tigers players and minor leaguers may have been exposed to high levels of PFAS while staying in the home of a prominent host family for the West Michigan Whitecaps. And host families are just that. They host minor leaguers just kind of to let them acclimate to playing without having to deal with all the grown-up stuff like finding living space and things like that. And this particular family has hosted a lot of players, including Nick Castellanos, Derek Hill, Kyle Funkhauser, and Matt Manning. And they've all possibly been exposed to this PFAS in the drinking water of the home. PFAS is polyfluoral alkyl substances left behind from various manufacturing processes. In this case, it was from seepage from an old gravel pit where the Wolverine Worldwide Tannery Company used to dump their sludge. Thank you, older companies. So, you know, like runoff from processing leather and stuff like that. The EPA recommends 70 parts per trillion as the most for these substances, and apparently the levels of this particular home were measured as high as 17,600 parts per trillion, so that's that's brutal. And as someone who spent like a decade sleeping in the basement that ended up being like the world headquarters of Radon, I can sympathize with these players. Uh, Let's just hope none of them experience any issues in in the future. And so yeah, let's just talk about baseball now instead of the slow march of death that comes for us all. And we'll do that by heading to the lab for a look around baseball. No seepage or chemicals in this lab, just a medium-depth dive regarding the National League West. We've already looked at the National League East and National League Central, so it only made sense to finish with the, the rest of the senior circuit. So let's start at the top with the Dodgers, who lead the division with a 2013 record. They, they remain sort of this regular season juggernaut that hasn't yet gotten over the hump to win it all, but they got another really good chance this year. They, they currently own the best offense in all of baseball, third most home runs, the highest walk rate, the sixth lowest strikeout rate, they're 10th in batting average, top five in base running, and second in defense. Just a spectacularly well-rounded group of position players. Starts with first baseman slash outfielder Cody Bellinger, who won the Wookiee of the Year in 2017, and he's just demolishing baseball right now. He has already accumulated a 3.2 war by himself, which is more than 12 whole teams, including the Tigers. He's hitting 425 with 14 home runs. He's got more walks than strikeouts. He's got six steals, and he's playing good defense. It's just a remarkable start. Behind them, they've got Jock Peterson, who has 10 homers. The rookie outfielder Alex Verdugo is hitting 350 with four homers. Kike Hernandez has turned into one of the best super utility players in baseball. And they're doing all this out without big performances from Justin Turner and Corey Seager, who are probably their second and third best hitter. And a poor start from their free agent signing, A.J. Pollock, who just hit the injured list because he needs surgery to remove some hardware from his elbow that was there from a previous operation. Uh, their pitching's been solid, ranked 10th and more so far. The Tigers are 8th, so just to give you an idea. Their starters have all been solid. Hyunjin Ryu has a 2.55 ERA in the fourth best strikeout to walk ratio in baseball. Their young phenom, Walker Bueller, kind of, they slow played him in spring training and he got to a, a bad start in the regular season, but he seems to have turned it around now. And then you've got 
lefty Julio Urias, who made his MLB debut in 2016 and missed most of 17 and 18, but is back and he's still just 22. That's how young he was when he started. He's sitting at 95 with his fastball, so that's a good recovery story. And then, of course, there's Clayton Kershaw, who began the season on the IL, and he's only throwing 90 now, but he has a 2.25 ERA because he's amazing and he's a Hall of Famer. And they also have like eight other starters. Their pitching depth is ridiculous. Their bullpen is solid, though free agent signing Joe Kelly is currently sporting an 8-3-1 ERA. Kenley Jansen is still the closer, and he's still throwing cutters like 95% of the time, and he's still getting people out, but he's not nearly as dominant as he once was. He's basically, he was basically Mariano Rivera for a couple years there, and now he's more like early Tigers Todd Jones. First run with the Tigers Todd Jones. Yeah, and if you think about it, the Dodgers could be a landing spot for Shane Green, of course. Uh, sitting second in the in the division is the Arizona Diamondbacks with an 18-13 and 13 record, and this is remarkable for a number of reasons. Namely, that in the offseason, they traded Paul Goldschmidt, who's the best hitter in their franchise history and basically their version of Miguel Cabrera. And they also lost Patrick Corbin, who was a top-five pitcher last year. And they lost the aforementioned A.J. Pollock, who was often injured but usually a top-20 outfielder. So they lost a ton of talent, and they still have a top-ten offense. Their pitching is towards the bottom of the, of the middle of the pack, I guess. But it's really impressive what their GM, Mike Hazen, has done since taking over in October of 2016, so more recently than Alavila. Uh, and he took over with the 28th-ranked farm system, and they now have more position player talent than the Tigers probably do. And their pitching lies behind, but they are in a really interesting position in this year's draft. They're going to dictate basically what every other team does because they have seven of the top 75 picks and eight of the top 100, which gives them $3 million more million to play with than any other team. So, like, if you're the Tigers and you have the 5th and 45th pick and you want to try to get cute with money and, and, and get a talented player down to the 45th pick, you have to kind of hope that the, the Diamondbacks won't spend the same amount of money with one of their four picks in between your two picks. So teams are going to have to be really secure with their contract offers. Anyway, yeah, their offense is being led by first baseman Christian Walker, who is currently outperforming Goldschmidt, which is just silly. He's 28, and there's little to suggest this will continue, but it's kind of a fun story. They signed Eduardo Escobar to a really nice cheap deal in the offseason. I think it was three years and $21 million, and he's currently hitting 290 with five homers while playing good defense at third. So he could be a great trade ship for them. They have Cattell Marte, who came up with Seattle, and he was looking like Jose Iglesias, but he's 25, and he already has seven homers this year while playing good D at second and center field. Jared Dyson is playing well. They signed Adam Jones, and he's playing him exclusively in right field, and he's producing. They just made a ton of of smart, small moves that all seem to be paying off right now. I I can't say that's going to last, but it's been impressive so far, and it's also fun to note that pitcher Zach Greinke is hitting 375 with two homers. And uh, our old friend Alex Avila is hitting 333 with a 30% walk rate and two homers. The pitching's less impressive. Grinky heads the rotation. He's been pretty good. He's got a 3.27 ERA. Behind him is Luke Weaver, who's one of the players they got from St. Louis in the Goldschmidt deal. And he really struggled last year, but he's throwing more cutters this year, and it seems to be working for him. They also have former Tiger uh, Robbie Ray, who is likely to be traded this year. He strikes out a lot of people. He walks a lot of people, but he's still just 27, and he throws really hard, and they should be able to get a strong return for him. And they have the uh, old Royals closer, Greg Holland, who has seven saves and hasn't given up a run yet in 11 innings. So they have lots of trade chips and that huge draft coming up and it's still competing. What a, what a concept. You don't have to completely tank, I suppose. You move on to the third team, the San Diego Padres, sitting 18 and 14 in third place right now. And I think a lot of people kind of became fans of the Padres this offseason just because they actually went for it in multiple ways. And they went and signed Manny Machado to that monster 10-year, $300 million deal. And then instead of playing service time games, they just brought up their top two prospects in Fernando Tatis, Studer, and Chris Paddock. And what do you know, they're the two best players on the team this year. So the offense as a whole is still below average. Machado is hitting just 235 with five homers. But Tatis was electric before he hit the IL recently. He was batting 300 with six homers and six steals and playing good defense at shortstop. And they have this mountain of a man named Fran Mil Reyes, an outfielder. He's like six foot five, 250 pounds of pure muscle. 
Uh, and he's started to really tap into his power, and he's not striking out much. So once he gets a little bit better batted ball luck, he's only got a 200 bad bip right now. He might really take off, and that'll be an interesting one. But right now, it seems like their veterans are really letting him down. I mentioned Machado. Outfielder Will Myers is struggling sitting 240 with a 37% strikeout rate. Eric Hosmer is making $18 million to hit 240 with bad defense. And Ian Kinsler's batting just 151 right now. He has the fourth lowest war in all of baseball at negative 0.7. He's worse than Josh Harrison right now. Um, the pitching, I mentioned Paddock leading the pitching. He's uh, a rookie. He's got spectacular command. His fastball sits at 94, and he might already have the best changeup in baseball. He's just a really interesting, good young prospect. They're going to have to manage his innings this year, though, so that'll be something to think of later this year. Uh, behind him is this sort of like never-ending stream of youngish starters who don't particularly have great stuff. Uh, Joey Lucchese, Nick Margavicious, Eric Lauer, Matt Strom. They're all, it's like four different versions of 2017 or 2018 Matt Boyd. So who knows if any of them will take the next step, but they have a bunch of strong prospects behind them. And speaking of Matt Boyd, San Diego would seem like a pretty good fit for him if the Tigers were to trade him. They have one of the best and deepest farm systems, and they could seemingly use a veteran arm. Also, last note on the Padres, their their closer, Kirby Yates, is 32, and he randomly started throwing a really nasty splitter like two years ago, and now he's among the most dominant relievers in baseball. He's got a .56 ERA, and he's 14 for 14 in saves. Leads all relievers with one more. So... Yeah, we move on to kind of the bummer teams. Colorado is 15 and 17, and against all common sense, they have one of the worst offenses in baseball. They have a point, .3 war as a team. They're basically hitting like the Tigers despite playing half their games at a launching pad. Uh, Trevor Story, Nolan, and Renato have been really good, both hitting about 280 with eight, eight or nine home runs and playing good defense. But there hasn't been a ton behind them. The outfielders David Dahl and Rymel Tapia are both talented hitters and both hit a homer last night, but the rest of the team is kind of a mess. Their veterans, just like San Diego's, are, are Playing really poorly. Mark Reynolds, Ian Desmond, Charlie Blackman, Daniel Murphy, they're all not doing well. And their early platoon at second base has been kind of a disaster. Ryan McMahon is barely staying afloat, and Garrett Hampson is rated as one of the worst players in baseball right now. And the pitching's been below average as well. Uh, Herman Marquez is really good. He, he seems, he's kind of under the radar, I think. He's got a 293 ERA this year, and he's ninth and more over the last calendar year. Cal Freeland put up a ridiculous 285 ERA last year, and everybody said there's no way that can last, and they were right. It's not lasting. It's like 4-8 right now. And then you got John Gray, who's this, this kind of enigma. One of the hardest-throwing starting pitchers in baseball is averages like 96 miles an hour with the fastball, but it's this super low-spin fastball, and it gets a lot of ground balls, and, and he just uh, he hasn't been great. But his ERA is okay this year, so their top three is fine, I suppose. But behind that, is, it's a real disaster. Tyler Anderson is an 11.34 ERA in four starts, and their relievers have been pretty mediocre, too. They have the second-lowest strikeout rate in all of baseball for a bullpen. I will say this for Colorado, though. They started 3-12, and and they've gone 12-4 and since, so I certainly wouldn't write them off. And we finish with the Giants, who are in full rebuild and mode and, and sort of similar to what the Tigers are. They're a little bit behind, I would say. Just 13-18 and 18 right now, one of the worst offenses in baseball, lots of expensive players. They did hire Farhan Zaidi away from the Dodgers, and he's a really smart dude, so it'll be interesting to see their progress in comparison to Detroit. They figure to have kind of a monetary advantage over Detroit eventually, but probably not going to spend any money right now. But there's just not much there right now for the Giants. Brandon Belt and Buster Posey are their top two players by war, but they're hitting 250 and 230. Pablo Sandoval is their top offensive performer, and he hasn't walked yet in 47 plate appearances. And former All-Star shortstop Brandon Crawford is hitting just 192 with no homers. Evan Longoria, the former superstar, is hitting 200 with three homers. It's been just a really strange evolution for him, too. You know, he used to, I mean, everybody gets worse with age, but he used to got, be hit for power and hit for solid average and walk like 10 to 11% of the time. And then the walks dwindled, and people started criticizing him for it. And he basically came out and went full old school, like talking about analytics, people being nerds. 
in saying walks are for suckers, and he's living that life now. His walk rate is now down to 4%, and he's basically a replacement player. So interesting choices there. Their pitching has been okay right in the middle of the pack. Madison Bumgarner has been pitching pretty well and will be traded. He's in the final year of his contract. Jeff Samarja has also been pitching well, but it'll be harder to trade him. He's got two years left this year and next year. Then there's Derek Rodriguez, Pudge's son, and Derek Holland, and Drew Pomeranz, and they've all been basically replacement level. So uh, not harming the team, but not really helping. They do have a super fun reliever named Reyes Maranta, who looks like a bowling ball on the mound, and he's out there throwing 97-98 with three good secondary pitches. So that's one fun thing for the uh, for Giants fans. And that's the the lab. We spent a, a while in there. Maybe I would have been quicker if I had a lab assistant, but you know how hard it is to find good help these days. That's why I use ZipRecruiter for my various and sundry hiring habits. They make it super easy to find all the gophers, toadies, and igors I need to properly run this podcast empire. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but that's not all they do. They don't just set it and forget it. They actually go out there and use matching technology to scan thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience to fit your job. And as the applications come in, ZipRecruiter will analyze each one of them and spotlight the top candidates so you never miss your best match and you don't get stuck with some loser. Yeah, ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, Locked on Tigers listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So now a quick Royals preview for the weekend series. Tonight's game is Matthew Boyd versus Jorge Lopez. Boyd has been excellent, but he missed KC when they came to town a month ago. Whitmerfield has historically been a real thorn in his side. He's 12 for 25 with four doubles and a triple. And Hunter Dozier, who appears to be headed for a big breakout season, is three for six with two doubles. Alex Gordon is having a strong season, but he's just three for 18 off Boyd. And then it's basically just a matter of not giving... Alberto Mondesi and Jorge Soler, anything to hit. It's a pitchable lineup, but it's a better lineup than you might expect, I think. The Tigers face Jorge Lopez, who kind of befuddled them earlier this year. He went six innings and gave up just two runs, only one of them earned, on five hits with three walks and three strikeouts. He throws pretty hard, but the Tigers seemed most bothered by his curve in the last outing. He's given up four runs in each of his last three starts, though, and didn't make it out of the fourth in his last outing, so maybe the Tigers you know, are catching him at a, bad, a good time. Bad time for him, good time for them. Uh, the Kansas City bullpen isn't particularly noteworthy other than the fact that Ian Kennedy, who came into the year with a 289 career starts and two career relief appearances, has been absolutely dominant out of the bullpen this year. He's throwing harder. He has a 1.15 ERA. And in 15 innings, he struck out 21 and walked just two. And then they have lefty specialist Richard Lovelady, who is a rookie but is already in the Blue Chew Hall of Fame. Saturday is Star Wars night. Uh, Chewbacca, rest in peace. But the Tigers haven't announced a starter. We can assume it's Tyson Ross, who had his best start of the season against the Royals earlier this year. Seven innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, one walk, eight strikeouts. So he'll either do that again, or they'll score a bunch of runs, or he'll be just okay. I don't know. What do you want from me? I can't predict the future. The Tigers face Homer Bailey, who has a pretty strong case to be the worst pitcher ever to throw two no-hitters. That's neither here nor there. Uh, Most of the team has barely seen him. Nico Goodrum is one for three with a homer. Jordy Mercer saw him a lot when he was with the Reds, but he's four for 17 with a double, nothing special there. And Bailey's actually been pretty solid this year. He seems to have backed away from throwing his fastball as much in favor of uh, stepped-up use of his curve and his splitter. So watch for that. Um, Might be something interesting to see. And the pitch mix seems to be working for him. He has a 5-7 ERA, but he has pitched better than that, I think. So don't be surprised if he does well. And Sunday is Brad Keller versus unknown Tiger starter, although it would be Turnbull's regular day, so I assume it's him. Tigers beat Keller earlier this year with three runs and six innings. But Kristen Stewart was the big bat in that game, and he's, he's not going to be playing. Uh, Keller himself is coming off two really rough outings against Tampa, though. Five earned runs in both of them, so maybe the Tigers could do something. And if it is Turnbull, he had his best start of his career against KC. Six innings pitched, two earned runs, ten strikeouts there on opening day. 
So, you know, Tigers have a good chance to win this series, I think. And finally, we end with a couple of good questions here that I think kind of fit together. The first is from Steve Cook, and he says, How much longer do we have to suffer with Jacoby Jones? He's batting 145 with a 217 on base percentage and 218 slugging, an OPS of 435. He's a career 194 hitter with a career 254 on base percentage and 709 plate appearances. You can't steal for first base, as they say. These numbers make me want to drink. So, yeah, I don't know if we can put a timetable on it. But it should be obvious to everyone that Jacoby Jones can't hit and that he won't hit. Lloyd McClendon still believes in him for some reason, but this has been the scouting report on Jones since he came out of LSU. He's an excellent athlete, raw power, plus speed, and he's really turned himself into one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball. But at a certain point, it doesn't matter. He can't hit. And if the Tigers were good, this would be a huge issue. But as it is, they don't really, it's not a big deal, and they don't really have any good options to replace him. Daz Cameron had a nice game last night, hit a homer, but he's still hitting just 190 in Toledo. Are you really going to start a service time when he's hitting like that? I, I do think we might see more games with Nico Goodrum in center field. He didn't look very good out there defensively early in the year, but he's a good enough athlete that I think he can figure it out, and he's been an offensive right spot, so maybe that's eventually what we see later. And the idea of a bad hitter with plus defense kind of fits in well with this question from Rob Logan, which kind of builds off Adam Haller's prospect timeline question from a few days ago. And Rob said, so let's imagine the pitching prospects work out and the Tigers have a sick rotation and a solid bullpen. Could they maybe build a championship team with undervalued defenders? Like if we focused on defensive war and pitching, would it be more likely to win that way than with offensive stars? Or is it a lie that pitching and defense win championships? My initial gut reaction was that to this idea was that, no, you probably can't win with just pitching and defense, although the idea of building a team out of undervalued defenders seemed kind of interesting, given that we saw Jose Iglesias uh, sit in free agency last year forever. And in fact, I look it up, and five of the top 15 de- defensive players in baseball last year, according to Fangrass at least, Yasmani Grandal, Martin Maldonado, DJ LeMahieu, Ian Kinsler, and Iglesias, they were all available as free agents this offseason. There would have been some positional overlap, but a team could have gone all in on D if they wanted. And there are probably a lot of really good ways to test this idea out. I don't know if the one I picked was any good, but basically I just looked back to, uh, since 1980 and ranked every team by defense, offensive production, and pitching war to see which of those top 40 teams in each category actually went on to win the title. And this is what I came up with. So three of the top 40 defensive teams in that span won it all. The 2008 Phillies were the seventh best defensive team since 1980. The 2016 Cubs were 17th best. And the 1982 Cardinals were 40th. But then seven of the top 40 offensive teams won it all. The 2017 Astros were the best team, the best offensive team in that span. 2009 Yankees, the 1998 Yankees, the 1984 Tigers were 14th, the 2013 Red Sox, the 2004 Red Sox, and the 2011 Cardinals. And then by pitching, I looked and four of the top 40 teams won it all. The 1985 Royals, the 1995 Braves, the 1996 Yankees, and the 2005 White Sox, who came in at 40th. So if you're counting, good offenses have won as many titles as both good defenses and good pitching combined. This is obviously a pretty unscientific method, and there are, like I said, there are probably 30 other ways to do it. But for now, I'll just say, yeah, it's probably better to be really good on offense, although don't tell that to those early 1990s Tigers teams. And that's it for the show. I want to thank Stephen Robb for the questions and thank everybody else for listening. This one ended up going kind of long. I did spend a lot of time in that lab. Sorry about that. But, you know, no shows this weekend, so maybe play half of it today and half on Saturday. But I'll be back on Monday to break down the Royal series, of course. And, you know, feel free to send me any questions or comments over the weekend at chrisbrown0914 at Twitter or LockedOnTigers at Twitter or LockedOnTigers at gmail.com. And I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon.